Grab a Bible. Um, hope you brought one with you. If you're not, if not, we've got them for sale out there, and we're not trying to make money, but uh, we are a people of this book, and so we hope you'll um, follow along as I try to teach it in a way that would profit you. Uh, we're back in John 14 for uh, the um, third time. That is John 14, 15 through 17. Um, continuing our study of the uh, Paschal Discourse of Jesus Christ. Um, while you're tracking that text down, uh, come be with us this afternoon at the new members class. Um, you're not obligated to anything, but I think you will, um, you'll find it quite informative. And then tonight we're going to play. Uh, that's what this chili cook off thing is. It's just a bunch of fun. And so, uh, you know, Christians do that too. So come be with us six o'clock and grab a bowl of chili and, you know, spill it over the f- carpet, you know, like most people do. <clears throat> Hope to see you tonight. <clears throat> Follow as I once again read this passage, John 14 at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you I will not leave you orphans I will come to you the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God That word, this word, it endures forever. Guys, I've already said this a couple of times already, but I'll say it again. In in this section of the the Paschal Discourse of Christ, Jesus introduces us to his successor, the Holy Spirit of God. From here to the end of chapter 16, the Holy Spirit kind of moves center stage. He is mentioned numerous times from here to the end of chapter 16. And so in response to all of that discussion by Jesus of his successor, I said to you last week that what I've got for you is kind of a, a four-part series on God the Holy Spirit. Last week, as you may recall, um, we discussed who he is. Who is he? He is a divine person, is what we said last week. Today we move to the other half of uh, the, our discussion, that being, what does he do? What does the Holy Spirit do? do a whole lot. (laughs) But we're only going to have time to discuss one thing this morning. Just one of the things that he does. And here it is. The Holy Spirit of God is the giver of regeneration 
Now, that's a big old theological term that, um, of, of immense significance, but it's a term that you may not know. But here's a term that you do know. You know this one. Um, born again. Rebirth. It's all the same thing, ladies and gentlemen. Those are synonyms. Born again, rebirth, regeneration. Those are synonyms. They mean the same thing. Jimmy Carter made sure that the, that the term born again was made very famous several years ago. You know that term. There's, if, if the term regeneration stumps you, then simply use the term born again because they mean the same thing. Now, <clears throat> I may ought to just stop right there and move on to the next subject about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but I can't. <laughs> because this whole regeneration thing, ladies and gentlemen, is just too wonderful to race over, to hurry by. And so what we're going to do for the morning is that we're going to discuss the whole subject of regeneration, rebirth, born again, however you, whatever term you prefer, that's what we're going to talk about. Now guys, before, before I define it, let me say a couple of things. As I said a moment ago, um, most people know that term, born again. And so many times when they use it, they are using it as a term of derision. They're saying something like this. Oh, you know, he's one of them born again Christians. And what they mean by that is he's really super ultra religious. And, and he does all kinds of strange things. I mean, he, I mean, he goes to church. I mean, the guy reads his Bible. I mean, I don't know what happened, but something happened to him. Some kind of strange, unusual religious thing happened to him. And ever since it happened to him, he he won't even go to the strip clubs with us anymore. I mean, he's one of those. Born again Christians. <clears throat> now, guys, to that I must say this. Folks, <clears throat> the only kind of Christian there is is the born again kind. There's no such thing as a Christian who isn't born again. Well, now, Dr. Young, <laughs> are, are, are you sure about that? Very, very sure. In fact, um, if you'd like a piece of confirmation, here's one. Romans chapter eight, verse seven. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. 
Well, okay then. <clears throat> I mean, if that's true, then for heaven's sakes, what is it? What is this regeneration, rebirth thing? What is it? Okay. <clears throat> you ready to do some thinking? Because you're going to do some thinking. It won't hurt. I promise. But think about it, ladies and gentlemen. I've, we've used two terms. Regeneration and rebirth. Regeneration. Rebirth. Both of those terms imply <clears throat> that life needs to be resupplied to someone by someone. Oh, indeed it does, ladies and gentlemen. That is, life needs to be resupplied. Because the Bible is clear about the man who has not yet been born again, who is still unregenerate. That man is described by Paul and as being dead, dead, uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And they were dead, or you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You are spiritually dead. So God's got to do something. He's got to do something about that. And gloriously, he does do something about that. And the best description that I know of about the thing that he does is found in Ezekiel chapter 36. And I want you to go there. Ezekiel 36. Well, I don't know where Ezekiel is, Dr. Young. I mean, well, first of all, it's in the Old Testament. It's beyond the Psalms. If you can find Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, it's in that neighborhood. So go find Ezekiel chapter 36. And I want to read you, not much of it, but I want to read you three verses. Starting with verse 25. So if you're there, let me say this. Ezekiel 36 is the Old Testament version of John 3. <laughs> okay? You got that much? Let me read you this. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. Well, why are we reading this? I've already forgotten. Well, <clears throat> because God's got to do something to the dead spiritual thing. And I said... The best description that I know of of what he does is right here. Listen. <clears throat> then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you 
a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my commandments and my judgments and do them. Again, those three verses are, are somewhat of an Old Testament primer on the subject of the rebirth. They are, they are a description of what the Holy Spirit does for every Christian. Now, I want you to notice from these three verses, who is the operative agent? That is, who's doing all this? Well, uh, that's pretty obvious. I mean, uh, God's doing all this. Yeah, yeah, he is. God is doing all this. Notice also this. My prior condition, before God does this thing, is that I am being described as having a rock for a heart. Before the Holy Spirit performs this regeneration thing, I have a rock for a heart. Doesn't mean that I'm just hard-hearted. No, 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 no. I need a heart transplant. So if, if God does not do this work, let me say it like this. If God has not done that work in you yet, You have a rock for a heart. And that means you're still dead. And did you notice? He says, I'm going to replace that rock. And I'm going to put an alive one in there. That exchange of hearts is performed by God the Holy Spirit and it is called regeneration. And it is the thing that brings us From a state of being spiritually dead to a state of being spiritually alive. Now guys, keep your finger there and go back to our text. If you've forgotten, it's in John 14. Notice what Jesus says here. Look at verse 17. Um, I'm going to send you another helper. He'll buy with you. The spirit of truth Look, look, look. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Why is it, ladies and gentlemen, that the world cannot see him 
and does not know him. Because they're spiritually dead. Now guys, that's not really what I wanted you to see. What I want you to see is the contrast. What Jesus is saying is, oh, the world, mm, yeah, they can't see him. They don't know him. But look what he then says, ladies and gentlemen, but you know him. How? How do I know him? Because he dwells with you and will be in you. Just like we're told in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, where God says, I will put my spirit within you. Gang, um, okay, so what is regeneration? It is the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit by which God grants life to the spiritually dead. The Holy Spirit does that. Did you hear it? I mean, I'll say it again. What is regeneration? It is the sovereign work of God the Holy Spirit by which the spiritually dead are made spiritually alive. You know, guys, I use this, this text, not this one, John 3, 3. I use it a lot, particularly on Wednesday nights. If you come on Wednesday nights, you've heard me use this John 3, 3 several times. But you know the text. I mean, I bet you're familiar with it. It's John 3, 3, and Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he says, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Does, does it say that? Well, go check it. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Why can't I see it? I got eyes. No, you don't. Not, not the ones that are alive. But what God does is that he takes dead, blind eyes. And he makes them seeing eyes. He takes dead, dumb, deaf ears. And he makes them hearing ears. Well, how does he do that, Dr. Young? He does that by an act that we call Regeneration. <clears throat> Guys, um, you, you might know the name um, George Whitfield. Um, 
maybe, maybe not, but George Whitfield has a place in American history. Um, George Whitfield, before the Revolutionary War, uh, came to this country from Britain and, and held many outdoor re- revivalistic crusades and was mightily used of God. In fact, a, a few historians would say to you that the Revolutionary War was caused by people like George Whitfield preaching the gospel. If you go to South Carolina today, you'll, find, you'll still find orphanages named after George Whitfield. But George Whitfield, at one point in his life, was a tormented man. He, um, he was trying to get right with God with all of his religious spasms. And um, at that juncture in his life, somebody gave him a book. A book that was written by a guy by the name of Henry Skugel. S-C-O-U-G-A-L. Henry Skugel. <clears throat> and in that book... Skugel was defining what a Christian was. And he pretty much summed it all up in the title of the book. (laughs) Here's the title of the book, of Skugel's book, that God used to win George Whitfield to himself. The title of the book is, is this. The Life of God in the soul of man. (laughs) Well, when does God do that? In regeneration. The life of God in the soul of man. Previously a dead man. And it brings him Guys, just tolerate me for a minute. I want to try to give you an illustration of what I'm saying. And it's found in the book of Leviticus, and I'd love for you to see it. Leviticus, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the third book in the Bible, way in the back. Um, But it's Leviticus 9 and 10. I'm not going to read that, I promise. I just want to tell you the story that's there. Um, the story is about Nadab and Abihu. I love to say that. Nadab and Abihu. Two men who were two of the four sons of Aaron. Now, you remember Aaron. Aaron was, well, there, there was Moses. And then there was his brother, Aaron. Moses kind of led, you know, Israel out of Egypt. But the priest was his brother Aaron, first high priest, uh, top dude in the, you know, the religious circle. And he had four sons. Two of those sons were Nadab and Abihu. <clears throat> now, in Leviticus 9, the whole priesthood is being, <clears throat> is being started. Um, the first formal acts of the priesthood. Leviticus chapter 9. And if, and if you look at Leviticus 9, it's, it's oh so interesting, but I'm not going to read it. But they come to this big day and it's the, you know, the formal beginning of the priesthood. 
and they're doing all these sacrifices in, in chapter nine. You see it? Well, I mean, um, look at verse 12. And he killed the burnt offering. And Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which is wrinkled all around the altar. Look at verse 18. He also killed the bull and the ram, the sacrifices of peace offerings, which were for the people. And Aaron's sons presented to him the blood. It goes on and on all day long. They're doing these sacrifices and the priesthood is begun. Now let me do, I do want to read this part. Verse 22. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering and the peace offerings. <clears throat> Stay with me. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings and the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. You see that? You see that? Big day. First day of the priesthood. Sacrifice all these animals. Sprinkle the blood on the altar. And it's a big thing. This is really big. This thing's happening here in Israel for the first time. And did you notice who his assistants are? Aaron's son. Sons. Two of them being Nadab and Abihu. And his sons handled the blood and brought it over to the altar and poured it on there. And, and then, then all of a sudden, right in the right in the front of Nadab and Abihu, God shows up and sends fire and consumes the burnt offerings. And right, right up next to all that are Nadab and Abihu. And when the people saw it, they fell down on their faces. And then we read Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. Do you know what my point is? Here it is. You can be that close to the genuinely, truly spiritual, to the point that you're handling it yourself. You can be right up next to it. You can participate. You can pour the blood out. You can handle the offerings. You can watch the fire. You can be an integral, intimate part of this great thing that God does. And still... not understand a smidgen of it. Just like 
Nadab and Abihu. Because, ladies and gentlemen, until God the Holy Spirit gives you eyes to see and ears to hear, until he exchanges that heart of rock of yours and replaces it with the heart of flesh, you won't get any of this. You neither see him nor know him. Until God the Holy Spirit performs this great work of regeneration. And now for the first time in my spiritual experience, I get it. Because now I'm alive. I enjoy a spiritual life that I've never had before because the Holy Spirit has regenerated me. (laughs) You know, guys, that's why the text back in John 14, 17 says, and the world cannot receive him. No, they can't. They don't know him. They don't see him. They can't receive him because they're dead people and dead people spiritually simply cannot see. They cannot hear. They are un able. You, you know, the kind of the famous text uh, where it says, can a leopard change his spots? Oh, well, of course not. <laughs> Any fool knows that. But neither can a dead man change his heart. And neither can a dead man see the great beauty of Jesus Christ unless and until God the Holy Spirit makes you alive. You know, there's a statement in John 1, um, verse 10, where it says, and Jesus came into the world and the world knew him not. And then it goes on to say how the world spit him out. And that's not the word it uses. Jesus comes into the world. And the world looks at him and says, I mean, what's the big deal with this? I mean, you know, they, 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 they see this Jesus that we talk about and they, they respond with this, this, um, the shrug of the shoulders. Well, I mean, what are you so, what are you so jacked up about? Oh, 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 I know. I get it. You must be one of those born again Christians. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, may I say it again? That's the only kind there is. In this this passage that is our text in John 14, you know, it closes with what what you might think is a um, is a very strange statement, and we're going to come back to this next week. But he says, Jesus says, "I will not leave you orphans." 
You know, guys, Jesus in John 14 is warning the 12 that they are about, he's, he's trying to warn them or prepare them for what they're about to experience. What are they about to experience? Well, hostility, persecution, rejection, opposition, all of that's months away. And the only thing that will change their enemies into, the only thing that will change people who hate them into people who love them is the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit of God. A work in which he gives, he exchanges a heart of rock and puts in there a heart of flesh. Until the Holy Spirit regenerates, those people are going to hate you. But when and if he does his work, those people will not be able to get to Jesus fast enough. Because you see, they have been born again. Guys, um, the Holy Spirit is the permanent presence of God. Um, He is the life of God in the soul of man. And one of the things that that means is that nothing will ever separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We are eternally safe because you see we have the life of God residing in the soul of man you know guys I have been your pastor some of you for 24 years 28 years 30 years whatever and I know that this thing that I've been describing has happened to so many of you It's the only thing that can explain what happened to you and the changes that followed as a result of this thing happening in you. It's the only thing that can explain a John Newton who was a slave trader and and he becomes a Christian and um, he he then becomes a preacher and writes Amazing Grace that we sing all the time. How did that happen? Oh, I... I know what happened. The Holy Spirit took out a heart of rock and replaced it with a heart of flesh. It's the only thing that can, can explain a Louis Zamperini, if you saw the movie, um, who was a thug. He was a hellion. He went to fight to, in World War II and was captured by the Japanese and was tortured in Japanese prison camps by a, by a Japanese officer. He was a sergeant, actually, who called, they called him the bird. Louis Zamperini becomes a Christian. He becomes back home and begins to preach the gospel and then decides, I'm going back to Japan and I'm going to preach the gospel to the Japanese And he even tries to meet with the bird who had so tortured him and the bird would not meet with him. How do you explain what happened to Louis Zamperini? 
Oh, it's the same explanation that happened to John Newton. It's the only thing that will explain what happened to Chris Luke. The guy that was up here a few minutes ago, you know, given the announcements. And his brother, who were both druggies. Chris, at one point, considering killing himself. Yeah, that kid, that one, standing up here, the handsome one, that one. What happened to him? God, in his grace, gave him a new heart. It's the only thing, ladies and gentlemen, that can explain what happened to me. And what has happened to you. The great saving work of regeneration granted by God the Holy Spirit. So having exchanged our hearts of stone and replacing it with a brand new heart of flesh, the one thing that we long for is a savior And there's only one of those. Christ and him crucified. And we cling to him. Which begs this question. Has God given you a new heart? Are you clinging to this Christ? Are you a Christian? If not, the spirit and the bride say, come. Our Father, I pray that what I have sought to do, you have aided me in doing so that your people might be benefited. Might they walk out of here not so much more informed, but more overwhelmed with the great grace of a great God who has seen fit to save us in Christ Jesus. Father, might might this thing called regeneration make us into people that are so different, not only so that we can see it, but so that everybody around us can see it as well. Might um, this great work be useful to you in the drawing of numerous others to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And we, of course, pray in his name.